0: the kids like you and me podcast we're here with tim devon of free the future press how's it going tim
1: doing well thanks for having me
0: yeah of course yeah we first or at least i can say for myself i first heard about your zines from chris drunk's long Gong, illegal punk venue or whatever it's called uh pick that up but um yeah, no, it's, it's the whole operation though sounds pretty sounds pretty wild.
2: Cool,
1: yeah. Yeah, Chris, um, so Chris wrote this zine. Um, yeah, so Gilmore was doing a um, fundraiser for Girls Rock Camp. And so she asked Chris to write this zine. And they only printed like 25, 30. She gave me a copy of it and I just thought it was phenomenal. And I thought that, there should be you know a lot more copies of it. Um, I just thought it was a good, uh, um, this history that you know a lot of people didn't really know about if they weren't there and I really loved the idea of all these the, like the length that everybody went to to create these spaces um, that were like completely illegal like in their own homes um, So I just thought it was kind of a cool history. So I asked Chris you know hey what if we reprinted it you know made more copies of it maybe added some pictures And he said, sure So that's where that came from. Um, And he added stuff. We got um, Al Quint. uh, Oh, yeah. And this other guy, Jonah something or other. Let me see. Jonah. I'm sorry, Jonah, if you were listening. Jonah Livingston, who had these really awesome photos um, dating back to, like, 2000. And it was a really fun publication. um, And people really seemed to respond to it, which was great, for sure.
0: Yeah, definitely.
2: Yeah. How how long have you been making scenes, and does it predate the Free the Future Press?
1: Yeah, yeah I've been. Um, so when I was a kid, I made zines in high school, um, and off and on since then, I've made different published publications, book, booklets. Um, I'm an artist, so I incorporated that into a lot of um, uh, community art projects that I did over yes. the years. And then when my son was born, I didn't have as much time outside of the house. So I started focusing more on um, more on publications on their own light. And so that's where the Future Press came from, was um, exploring sort of like hidden histories, local histories. Um, And so I started doing that in 2016, 2015, something like that. Um, So for the future, it's supposed to be kind of hopeful. Um, So around when um, Trump was elected, uh, things were looking super bleak. So that's when I came out, I started working on this um, mapping out utopia thing. Um, I forget, Glenn, did did I give you one of
2: those? Yeah, I picked, I got them all.
1: Um, Yeah, so that was um, the idea there was, um, you know, everything's really bleak, right? And maybe you need to examine ways that people have done things in a more positive way um, and try to understand how that happened, celebrate that, because a lot of this stuff nobody really remembers anymore. Um, So maybe if you throw out all of these positive, optimistic things that people were doing, uh, folks would be inspired by it.
2: Totally. And it's, I should mention that I believe once I read the long gone venues, that's when I looked up your, your website and I have to hand it to you that you have, you really have a remarkable website that in the way that it's set up and kind of honestly, it's, I wish more people that are sort of making things and
0: I know I know a lot
2: of artists do but I feel like you sort of you fit outside the bubble of the artist where it's it's you're more like a, I don't even know what the correct word is but like a counter culturalist and you oh, you cool. nicely identify all of your projects and you could have a fun afternoon just researching everything that you kind of got done and get a good sense of what you're doing without even reading the zines. But it just makes you want to pick them up.
1: Thanks, man. Thanks for saying that.
2: Yeah. Have you had that website for timdevin.com for a a bit?
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah, so that has a bunch of um, like older projects and the books and some of the posters I make. Um, And yeah, so I've been doing that for a while. yeah um yeah so it's got the books on it um and different like were you a tour guide? yeah well yeah so tours are awesome so okay um i like giving walking tours i think they're fun uh, i think it's a nice way to like experience history and i think it's a nice way for people to meet each other like a social social like um I think it's pretty cool. So, but it's a fun way to experience like counterculture. So I was part of um, this group called People's Tours. And People's Tours was around about 10 years ago, around about, and we lasted for a few years. Um, we came out of the Occupy Boston movement, if you guys know anything about that. Um, and so the idea there was to um, give these walking tours of radical local history that a lot of people don't really know about, and so same deal as like the, the books that I've been making recently. Um, research these things that are really magical that um, people did in response to various horrible situations, um, like housing crises and stuff like that, and really showcase what the struggle was, how they went about it, and how they were successful, and. It's kind of a cool way to you know, like if you're in the physical spot where somebody did something like that, it makes it a lot more um uh real, I think, maybe. Um, and so we did that for a few years, and there were some really awesome people involved in that. Uh, Neil Horsky, who I think is on the you might know him from the music scene, he's part of Old Wave. Uh, he's oh, a- yeah. Yeah, so Neil, um, and then some uh, researchers and librarian types, uh, Heather McCann, Dave Tabor, um, some really good folks were part of that. Um, So then I I liked that idea of walking tours, then I incorporated that in some of my other projects. Like um, the Mapping Out Utopia, which was the one that we were talking about earlier, which is about the 70s counterculture. Um, So it led people on walking tours of all these different houses where, you know, there are feminist collectives in the 70s, or there were, um, you know, whatever, radical environmentalist groups. Um, And yeah.
2: Have you thought about doing with your most recent project the 55 Norfolk Street. Have you thought about doing maybe a, a reading in front of the, the spot or some kind of <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, like
1: a walking Little
2: building. <laughs> yeah, um,
1: yeah, that would be, I would love to do like a project there. Um, it's abandoned right now. Okay, so like, so um, I did this booklet about 55 Norfolk Street in Cambridge. And um, it was about all the hijinks that went on there, all the art stuff and all the um, radical activist things that happened in this one storefront over the years. But um, yeah, I would love to like do an event there. Um, It's right now, I think it's being used for storage of some sort. I went by there recently with my kid We took a picture of it. But yeah, that would be a fun walking tour because you just like you just go there for an hour, which would be fun, right? Like everybody likes a walking tour that you just go somewhere and stand still for an hour. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Have you have you been in the Boston area your whole life?
1: Uh, I grew up in the South Shore, and I've been in Somerville since '98. And I lived in Quincy and Brookline and JP a couple of years here and there. But yeah, I've been in Somerville. Um, and yeah, so I guess I have like strong ties or whatever. Uh, my folks are from Boston originally. Um, and yeah, so like part of, part of what was kind of fun about the um, mapping out Utopia one about the 70s counterculture was that um, I'd always heard negative things about hippies in the 70s when i was a kid <laughs> you know <laughs> like because you know the, uh about how it was a failure and i never really yeah. um, but it wasn't like a lot of really cool stuff stuff came out so like in your face anti-70s people
0: who's who is telling you the anti
1: oh uh, stuff? My, my
0: folks Sorry,
1: yeah. uh, okay. that was the punchline of the story, um, sorry. I uh,
0: okay. <laughs> see, you
2: had the, uh, the, the hippie parenting zine.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I forgot you had that one too. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so the hippie parenting zine, um, so when I, I had, so i dad. a um, dad. And when I had my kid, I was looking into um, different parenting advice. Um, You know, like there's mainstream parenting books and then there's like not mainstream. So I was kind of curious what other like parenting advice there was out there. And so I did all this research and I found out um, about there was a lot of um, like 70s hippie parenting advice and it was like really cool stuff about like how to raise your kid in a commune. Um, How to raise your kids so that they're interested in politics, how to raise your kids so they care about the environment, how to raise your kids so they're not like um, materialistic. And so I thought it was really cool stuff and I thought it would be nice for other people to read it because I found it in all these like obscure old publications that nobody's ever seen before. Um, So I put that that together and that's um, what are you raising them for? Uh, which is a quote by this, um, this hippie writer about when somebody was asking him like, about child-rearing, he said, well, what are you raising them for? Uh, which just cracks me up. Like, you know, they're, they're a kid. Like, but, you know, some people actually take that view that, you know, your kid is this, like, missionary you're sending into the future to, um, like, change the world. Um, so I thought that was kind of a cool idea to think about.
2: Yeah, that seems to be really deep. Chris and I, we've actually sort of explored that a little bit. Um, I don't know if Chris will know exactly what I'm about to say, but at least as far as, at least when we when we grew up um, in the suburbs north of here, we, we didn't really have a hippie parenting experience. And, you know, sometimes we hear people taking, you know, if they lived in the suburbs, they would let their kids... You know, kind of in high school go off into the city and that's how they would explore the arts community and kind of really, in, in my mind, get involved from like a young age with all of what's going on. But I feel like for us, it we were a little bit delayed to fully appreciate more countercultural artistic stuff. we, 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 we liked it, but we couldn't say we firsthand experienced it. and I think a lot of kids probably do have that experience yeah
1: so you're all are from the north shore
0: yes
2: okay yep we're from
0: yeah wakefield uh wakefield it's what? a little bit yeah a little north of boston yeah.
2: yeah i know wakefield cool
0: yeah that's interesting though you bring out the different the different parenting style and that also like the hippies the advice from like the 70s as well do you I don't know. You feel like that has had a lot of, that has like had a lot of impact on any like contemporary like literature regarding parenting, like like the, the older stuff that you found from the seventies or what yeah. have you?
1: Some of it some of the ideas I think spread out like um, with you know, uh, healthier food and like a more gentle right. parenting style, I think, because in the seventies, you know, it was normal for parents to like hit their kids. Right. Um, and, you know, we don't do that anymore. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting that there was this whole idea of like, you would share your kid with other people when you needed help, which I think would be really awesome. I mean, I love my kid, Okay. <laughs> you know, sometimes you have to do things, and um, so that idea I think is pretty interesting. Um, and also, then your kid would—my um, wife is making popcorn. I don't know if you can hear that. Um, my uh, then your kid would be exposed to other grownups, and you know, like uh, be more more social. Um, you know, know how to talk to grownups more. Um, I don't. Know, I think there's a lot of really cool ideas in there uh, that maybe would be really useful right now. Um, we've tried some of them, I don't know. Um, but I think that that's, what's cool about looking at, um, the countercultural stuff over the years and the, you know, like Chris's book too, and my new one about 55 Norfolk street is just how people have tried different experiments with, all these different situations and maybe they worked, maybe they didn't work, but you know, we can look at them now and we can try to figure it out. Um, Like a lot of this underground stuff, um, I don't know if you agree with this, but a lot of the underground stuff like music, underground music, underground art, activism, has um, all these really wonderful ideas, but not many people really know about it. And that's a huge bummer because, you know, this underground band like is gonna have uh, these amazing songs, but nobody really knows about it, um, beyond this little like underground circle. Um, and so what I was trying to do with all these things was bring these ideas back, uh, to a new group of folks. Um, and maybe people will learn from it. Maybe people will be inspired by it. Um, I really like Chris's book because so like, I, always was left punk when I was a kid, but I, I never like was a punk. I never really went to punk shows. Um, but what I thought was really cool about it was it showed me as an outsider like how it works, and so then you know there's like safety protocols. There's um, you know you don't advertise the the location, um, how that works, and how like how it can go really really wrong too, which is also really useful. Yeah. And so then you can you know as an outsider, I can take those ideas and maybe I can apply them to something else. Um, and so I thought that was really cool. Um, and same same with you know, the, the 55 Norfolk one. So there was some, there were a bunch of um, arts groups that were there, and there were some activist groups that were there. And they did some really phenomenal stuff. But I had heard bits and pieces of it over the years, but i would never like, really dug deep into it. And so I started like asking questions of people um, but it's really inspiring, and it shows you what worked in these circumstances and what didn't work. Um, but you know, like uh, with underground stuff, like only this small, tiny little group actually knows about it at the time. And Then once it's gone, you know, it's, it's just gone. Nobody really knows about it anymore.
0: Um, yeah, so. I, I I can definitely understand. I, I understand that. not as we're not as familiar with maybe some of the other underground things but I feel like with underground music at least for me like when it started getting involved with it 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 kind of like like it felt like oh things can operate on a different level like in ways you would have never even thought of you know necessarily like I I remember distinctly you know, seeing bands playing house shows and being on tour and just and seeing like that they had booked their own tours and everything. and like I don't know, that just was like, oh okay, you no, know, you didn't have to go like because like, I think to me bring up like the mainstream thing, I feel like if you talked about like touring or something to a more mainstream person, they would associate that with like someone who plays music professionally or something. You know, or as like a rock star or whatever. And of like, no, they, it's like these kids just book their own tour or something, or even just book their own shows. Um, and Probably I agree with your point. With the art,
2: art community, yeah, too. performance art and stuff, I imagine yeah. operates similar.
0: I yeah, I, I agree with the point that I think that people perhaps just don't even know, like, they, you know, because it is underground.
1: And maybe like folks can learn from each other. Like, so one thing that I thought was kind of crazy was when I was talking to a lot of the performance artists for this this new one that I did, is they were talking about safety protocols and they were talking about like, there was always one person when they did the not necessarily legal stuff, mm-hmm. like at you know, some abandoned space. There was always somebody that was um, assigned to watch. For, police and um, they were the person who was supposed to talk to the police and be calm and try to like de-escalate the situation and I mean that's what happens with a lot of like music shows from what I understand too is like you need to if you're not you know if you're playing somebody's basement you can expect that you're gonna get shut down at some point so you have to have like a procedure in place for like how to deal with that um and it was funny. I was talking to uh, um, some of the performance art folks about how a lot of them then became um, sound artists and noise artists, and that was kind of like an interesting overlap too. Um, but you know, they didn't know anything about like the punk stuff, or they didn't know anything about house music shows. Um, but they're doing all the same things. Yeah,
0: um, so interesting.
1: Like everybody should talk. Yeah, they should talk.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah,
2: that's, that's, there, it doesn't seem, well, maybe there is, there probably was, at least in your time in Somerville, was there like a consortium of network of people where they could have uh, meetings or meetups that weren't necessarily an event, but some kind of gathering where those exchange, and I'm sure it happened like at a very, you know, maybe at the the 55 Norfolk Street itself or whatever, but I don't know, did you run to stuff like that over the years?
1: I think that would be great. Um, I mean, everybody's dealing with the same situation, you know, even beyond there aren't many affordable legal spaces. Um, I don't know, like right. it, it's, it's a bummer to see, so like I, I'm a music lover, but I don't really know much about like the music scene that much, but like with the EMF space closure a couple of years ago, and then there was Star Lab here in Somerville that got shut down and then there was um, Jam Spot. Yeah. At the same time, like, like all of these, um, all of these art spaces were shutting down. Like I, I'm an artist, I know more artists. Um, so I know more about like what they're going through. Like there's a lot of art spaces that are getting shut down and um, you know, uh, public art spaces, but also um, um, studio buildings, stuff like that. And it's all the same. It's all the same reason because of real estate is just going crazy. But, you know, maybe EMF wouldn't have gone away if folks from other walks of life had known about it and cared about it. And maybe you know some of the art spaces wouldn't have gone away if like folks from other walks of life had known about it um i don't know it's kind of a bummer how like kind of like everybody's in their own like silos or whatever um i don't know
0: do you see as like a long time um massachusetts resident do you see I guess Boston, or you could say Massachusetts as a whole, as being like conducive to the art you're trying to create and document? Or do you see it as uh, being like a, an obstacle with like, you know, the rise of real estate and all the other sort of, um, you know, gentrification and other issues?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a bummer. Um... In terms of that kind of art that I've been making, um, it's more about communities so mm-hmm. I like um, a lot of community art projects and um, postering and things like that. Um, so I guess the kind of things that I do focus on maybe what's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so, Somerville used to be with like artist it was. In the, when I moved here in in the 90s, and even in like the 2000s, it was just like the artsiest part of the Boston area. Right and now, like every so many so many artists are just gone. Um, so Glenn, right near your house, uh, the Taza building, yeah, um, is used to be. I think there are still some artists. But, um, they all got. It was this, it's this huge building, and you know there were hundreds of artists in there. And they're for the most part gone. And then um, closer to the square from the place, uh it was a place called the fringe that had a lot of um, art in it. And, and like all these buildings are just you know changed over. Um, and it's a, it's, a shame. it's really a shame. Um, I don't know how that compares to like music in the Boston area. Are folks leading or folks around?
0: I mean people like come and go and i feel like that also has to do with it being like a college town that a lot of people come here for college and you know maybe they stick around for a little bit after or maybe they stick around for for the rest of their lives but it's i feel like it's it's difficult and i i i hear often that amongst other like musicians and artists that they want to maybe go somewhere else because like i it's like i've got everything i've got out of this or there's they feel like there's not as many options. That seems to be a popular sentiment uh, in the music scene that there's not enough venues or there's no good venues, which I don't necessarily agree with the, the, the latter, but I, I definitely think there's not enough like, like you had said, I think about like uh, maybe affordable venues. And I think that all of these reasons kind of, uh, Or partially why, like, say, like uh, Chris Drunk's um, scene, you know, but why, partially why people then create, you know, alternative underground spaces. Um, Um, But
1: yeah. (laughs) Like, your potential reach, right? Like, if it's just the people that you feel safe telling about your basement show, then you can only go so far with it.
0: Yeah.
2: The question for you, Tim, if, have you noticed, I I was walking around the neighborhood and it seems to me in some I don't know if this is a recent thing or if it's been happening, but is there a sense of like technology meeting art? Is there some kind of push to combine maybe even startups with art, but it's more, technology-based art, I I, I was walking by, I forget where, but something, I I think there's an organization and I was like, I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing. It seemed bad, but (laughs) I guess it's nice in a way that maybe it brings people that aren't totally artistic-minded into the fold.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that around MIT, there's a lot of, like cyber arts, I don't know if they still call it that, but um, yeah, Um, I don't know, I mean, that's that's not really my speed, but I know that there's people that like that. Um, What's your concern
2: about it? It seems like it could draw out more grassroots stuff or like, because that has more of a official platform that maybe people that struggle to organize but have great ideas, I get maybe that's just the tale of time. Maybe that's just always the way things have been. That people that have more actionable, more relatable stuff resonates more or gets a platform, but things that are a little bit confusing or heady might be there, the spot for them might just be invisible.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, I don't know. I mean, like, not to knock on MIT, but they have a bunch of money. So, like, if they put their money behind, like, the Media Lab stuff, then that's going to have, you know, that gets media attention. That gets, you know, like, news attention and that gets um, institutional support. It's a shame. You know, like, you know, what you're talking about is also funding. And there isn't that much funding for, you know, experimental arts around here. Um, I don't know how Non Event does it. They do a really great job, and I don't know if they pay their performers. I hope they pay their performers, um, but they seem to just have a steady flow, and um, I think that's great. Um, it would be cool if there's more stuff like that. Um, but yeah, the, the experimental arts is there aren't many venues really for it. And, you know, if you're doing it for the love and, you know, the exposure, um, if there's no place to, you know, get your exposure, then you're kind of, you know, screwed. Um, It must be the same with like music. Like a lot of the smaller venues have closed just in COVID. I know that you guys like keep track of that on your blog, right, the places that are open, the places that have closed.
2: We like keeping tabs on the venues. We're having a festival in September, actually. We're having, we got, we went through the city and got the approval for a show at Lincoln Park uh, Festival. So we're going to bring some, bring a generator and have some bands play. But the idea behind it was originally to then go to other spots that normally wouldn't host shows. And, or not necessarily that, but maybe just, stuff that's a little bit outside the box we're kind of having some issues tricky
0: yeah we're trying to get um partially i think inspired by a friend of ours has a a music festival in new bedford where it's, it's it's really cool it's just walking distance uh two bands would play or two like two or three bands would play it at like, like a vintage clothing store or something like that, or an art gallery. And then you'd walk to like a restaurant and two bands would play there. And then it, it's like, you'd walk to another like vintage store and then um, soup restaurant. Is that actually, his name's Devin Burns. Um, and he runs Destination Soups. And for example, like he had bands play at his restaurant. And so like, uh, it was kind of, we wanted to do something maybe not on quite on that level because it would be really difficult to do that i feel like not impossible but we wanted some kind of like walking festival and we, we still have no kind can have of you be the the uh, the end the walking yeah. mc <laughs> yeah exactly you can give a tour guide
1: Sounds good in our next stop. so you're working with art council or you're working with the city
2: we got approved but i reached out to the arts council but i never heard back um so we just kind of are winging it
0: yeah and we're so we and then we ended up um we have the first year booked at lincoln park and then we have a third one booked at Lilypad and what we're trying to do in the middle is something at like a brewery but it's been it's been a little difficult and well, I don't know. it's kind of something I have mixed feelings on, but, but and it's very kind of general statement. But what are, you, what are your thoughts on uh, uh, breweries?
1: The breweries? Um, I don't know. I've seen some good music at Aeronaut.
0: Um, yeah.
1: But yeah, I mean they're. I mean it's nice they're local. They're local. <clears throat> um They're kind of a little higher end than I can afford. Um, so, uh, right. you know, there's that. but, um, no, I mean, I, I, like, I like that. They try to support local folks with, um, you know, their, their beer can designs and all that stuff. And right. They've had some good music. Um, yeah, is, um, is Aaron not doing outdoor music yet? Or if they, have they started doing that again?
0: they've had music in even, yeah, indoor, they had, um, something like, a, I think they are just doing in general, just music. And, um, so yeah, I mean, we'd like to do something with them someday or something, but, uh, and I know there's a notch brewery has a, a new location in Brighton and there were some bands played there a couple weekends ago. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, you know, it's like, we're, we're, hopefully if uh, they if they accept I those. hope that they're willing to support yeah, the uh, local music and arts Weird. as we've like been discussing with like art in general and, and differences between mainstream and underground one of the problems with I think all, all Boston maybe perhaps turning into like just a know, super gentrified place and everything, and there being artists pushed out of the city. On one hand, just, just be, boils down to not enough people caring about art in general. I actually would a- I ask you, Tim, do you agree with that? And if, if so, why? And ha- is there any way that that could be changed?
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, that's the question, right? Like, what what needs to change so there can be more like art kept? Um, and is it that not enough? You know, not enough of percentage of the population like knows and cares, and like, can you change that, or if you have to approach it a different way? I don't know. I mean. There's there, probably about like 10 years ago, there was this really great trend in art in the Boston area, at least um, where people were trying to do things for people on the street. Um, it was called temporary public art. The idea was you would like, there are all these kind of snooty words for it that I never really liked. But um, the idea was that you would go into the street and you would do this, projects that everybody else could experience and they wouldn't have to go into like the art galleries. And that way you weren't removing yourself. Um, and that kind of died out, which was a bummer. Um, but I, th- I always thought that was a really cool way to do it. Um, and then more people are aware of what you're doing and you engage more people. Um, I mean, there's like all the pure art that you you see in museums that um, needs to be in galleries and climate controlled settings and all that stuff and yeah you're never really gonna reach many people that way if they have to go to you um, but I know like other countries support their arts more and it's not that the artists there are doing stuff in the streets or doing like pop cultural art it's that the culture is more open to it. And um, I'm like, I think that artists need to do more, um, but I don't think it's their fault that mm. not enough people in the general population care about it. Um, yeah, it's a shame. That's um, you know, the same thing with like music, right? Um, There's some really wonderful like local groups, but people are more interested in listening to stuff on Spotify from, you know, whatever. And then these like smaller voices get lost. And then because those smaller voices get lost, people get discouraged and they stop like making music after a while. seems like the same thing happens with art is because there isn't as much support for it. Um, A lot of people get either move away, or they stop making art altogether, and then all that wonderful creativity they had, and all that wonderful um, energy and those ideas are just kind of lost.
2: That's, um, you think that it's a super bummer. Is that a bit of this cycle of yuppification where maybe you know, as part as as part of someone maturing into their you know whatever their years that their taste in the eclectic may decrease and maybe their materialistic concern may might increase and maybe they'll still have a little bit of that i think there's a lot of hope maybe with your generation with our generation that those people that maybe as they move into the more yuppie sphere and even maybe beyond that into like the developer fit sphere that they still might have an affinity for radical politics or call it countercultural as opposed to maybe a the boomer kind of people or whatever that might not even it just might just not even be of a concern to them and they're the ones that are mostly uh kind of overruling the system.
1: Yeah, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. Um yeah. Um I don't know. Um but you Chris, you were gonna you were getting at something, right? Like did I miss it?
0: I think we can say, you yeah, know, say sort of what like Clem was saying, you know, definitely like, you know, whatever amount of like you know capitalist interest people, are going to do what makes a ton of money, and and so forth. Um, I think I was trying to uh, almost like go a little bit more towards was like the the like deeper reason why you know people might and people might not be as interested in in art to begin with, and like sort of I don't yeah. know how that sort of, thing, you know, it might be a cult, like you were, I think what you were getting at like more just a cultural thing that there's might be a lack of that uh, compared to other countries. I guess it's like, a, I guess it's kind of like a, a loaded question. <laughs> I think that is what I was, I was trying to figure out more of like what would be the, maybe more like the deeper reasons why people might not be interested in, you know, some sort of radical art thing or, or whatever.
1: Yeah, like exposure, yeah. I think, and
0: yeah, that's, um, true.
1: you know, it's um, kind of funny was that one thing I was thinking about when I was writing my new zine is that there's only a couple like radical pol- political spaces in town right now. There's Lucy Parsons Center, there's E5, there's Democracy Center, um, right. the only ones I know about. Maybe there's more. Um, But back in the 70s, there were hundreds of them. And because of that, they changed society. And one of the reasons that worked was they were everywhere and people were were aware that there was this other school of thought. And when, so what I was thinking a lot about was, well, what's it like now? And I don't think that there's enough space in the city for experimental art, and I don't think there's enough space in the city for grassroots politics, like physical location. So then people don't really know about it. You know, Everybody's in their like social media bubble or whatever. And so then it gets cut off. And then there's this feeling that, you know, like nobody really cares about what to do and why do I bother doing it? Um, So like, how do you break out of that? I don't really know, Um, especially when real estate is so expensive. But, uh, I don't know, I think that I really like the, you know, just getting back to the, the temporary public art that I mentioned earlier, like, I really like that stuff. I think it's great. You know, it tries to engage people and it tries to be, you know, it engages people but there's a point to it. Like it, it's trying to be political or it's trying to be community minded or thoughtful in some way. Um, maybe like more of that would be good. Um, more I don't know, if you don't have music venues then more stuff like you were talking about earlier, you know popping around from you know storefront to storefront, um, just being more visible. I think that that's a really smart way to do it, because you were talking about what kind of music are you are you programming
0: for that festival, yeah. So the first show um, at the skate park is going to be more like punk slash like hardcore, not even really too much like hardcores, uh, but like on that sort of louder, faster, aggressive, like punk kind of side of things. And then if we're able to get a brewery, I like understand that that kind of, it might be a little bit more of like a chiller or, or like psychedelic kind of thing. And then the the last show, the lily pad, that one. But I think Glenn and I were thinking more like a mixture of some of those.
2: Um, I think it each spot yeah. might reflect <laughs> the space. Being in the park, we can do whatever we want. So that's where we can, <laughs> yeah. we, can, we can hypothetically kind of just do whatever we want. It's right next to the skate park. Blah blah blah. It's right. a very freeing thing, and then it kind of. You know, li- Lilypad, you can you can also kind of do whatever you want, but it's it's a little bit more, you have to keep in mind certain things, there's costs associated with renting the room. Yeah, the middle place would be sort of that in between.
1: Cool. That's great.
0: So I have a question for you, Tim. Uh, as far as like the subject matter, the zines, or the different like scenes that you uh release or what's your approach as far as that just 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 what interests you or is there like uh like uh, i'd like to do something like this and then you know you approach someone or or like do you already have that like in mind like a general like theme or is it that you've been hear about something and it's like oh wait i want to put this out or something
1: um yeah i uh what I've been interested in lately is kind of like hopeful things. Um, So I think that the world, this is going to sound super bleak, but I think the world is really negative right now. And I think that we need like positive, inspiring things. And I I think that a lot of these, you know, forgotten stories are really positive and inspiring. Um, So that's sort of what I've been trying to do with these ones the last like five or six years, um, is stories that people don't know about, that are utopian somehow, that also are uh, relevant right now, I think. Um, So with the 55 Norfolk one, that was, um, so uh, Chris's zine and, excuse me, uh, Chris Azine in the, the 55 Norfolk one are part of a new series called Magical Spaces, which tries to look at um, spaces uh, in the Boston area that have made stuff happen, have helped stuff happen to celebrate like how they worked, but also to point out that, you know, you need physical locations for culture to happen, whether that's, you know, political stuff or music or art, like it, we, we just need space. It can't just be- right. Friggin' Starbucks and overpriced chocolate, you know? (laughs) Nothing against overpriced chocolate, but you know, we need space for like grassroots culture. Otherwise we're gonna live in a mall and I don't wanna live in a mall.
0: Right. Um, And I, okay, so that's a good angle for me that that where like, I was trying, I think I'm trying to get it four is, uh, and I, I think what's weird because I think it was, for at least for us and I'm, I'm sure it's true to you to an extent and it's like a lot of times i don't think ever in those terms of like oh how, how do you get other people interested in something because a lot of times it's like oh i don't care whatever it's like that's what i'm going to i like this band because i like them like I, who cares you know what if they're only playing to like three people at a basement like or whatever or if they're playing to whoever it doesn't matter really but when you kind of, I feel like when we start to talk about like these in like a bigger, these sort of like bigger senses, I I think it's, you had to like start to think, okay, what, you know, what about other people out there beyond our, our circles? And um, you said you, you don't want to live in the mall. I think a concern, at least of mine, is that a lot of people don't, share that sentiment and is it be, right so is it because you know unfortunately like I know exactly you mean I'm sure Glenn does but I feel like you're now like uh but uh there's now being people who are just like almost like raised on mall culture and like I would say I was raised on mall culture you know what I mean and I just I had to, it turned out we when I just had interests also that Outside of that, and we kind of stumbled upon other stuff. But it's like now, how do you get past that? Of like, well, the, the, like it's like, ah, well, you know, like wait, but there's some <laughs> there's some cool chocolate at the in this mall over here. You know, and you're like, no, but what about? we like said, like, what about this grassroots organization or this uh performance art piece or um you know whatever else? I guess that. What about the uh, the people? Who it seems overwhelmingly, majority don't have that, like, oh, I don't want to live in a mall kind of thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people get used to it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Gotta like shake them out of that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's a loaded (laughs) question. I know.
1: Good, right? (laughs) Yeah. People out of that, whether they want it or not. Right. Um, yeah, um, I don't. It's funny. Like, um, Harvard Square used to be really awesome when I was a kid, and it—it's so weird to think about that it used to be this vibrant, amazing, magical place, and now it's like, I, I go there when I need like work clothes. You know, that's what Harvard Square is. It's the place where I get my work clothes. Um, and yeah that appeals to a certain kind of person and it draws people here and after a certain point the battle's over and like that's what this town is about um it's kind of a bummer but i don't know i think that sorry i think that creative people are like really good at shaking things up and yeah if um It's almost like the, the the harder it is, the more of a challenge it is, then the more creativity you need to shake it up. Um, there was this really um, there's this really great quote by this person named Jaina. Jaina, where is it? I'm um, looking for it in the scene. Um, there's this really great great quote out okay, Jaina, and I'm gonna slaughter this name, Jaina Cipriano in the dig about how Boston is home to some of the most intelligent and divergent thinkers, yet I've been told that it's just too conservative for the art and community I envision. I believe this is a self-fulfilling cycle. The artists who leave are the same ones who stand a chance at shaking it up. And I think that's really true. You know, like There's a lot of super weirdos around here and a lot of them are leaving because they don't see the point. And I think it would be cool if everybody stayed and tried to shake things out.
2: Yeah. Well, you have one kind of related to that I saw that you had experience on the, were you the chairman of the Somerville Arts Council at one point?
1: (laughs) Yeah, your your research is deep, man. Um, Yeah, yeah, I was on for about five or six years. Uh, I was the, so it's a volunteer, voluntary like advisory board um, that does like community outreach and events planning. Um, and and yeah, so I did that. I was also involved in, um, a grassroots group that advocated for cultural space in Somerville, um, and we we did, um, a couple of things. We saved a a stand of buildings from being rezoned as, um, residential. And that was the one right next to market basket, which is where 440R is. If you know, 440R, um, Audrey Ryan's loft. Uh, anyway, so like this creative stuff and a lot of music there, um, but yeah, it's um its definitely like a challenge, um, for sure. This do is really think, bleak. This one, really yeah, bleak. I was gonna say
0: yeah. uh, we have more, I think, optimistic <laughs> sentiments as well. I think I don't know why, but sometimes when we get like deep, I think we. Sometimes go towards the negative but I think we we also like you know I mean because your work that uh, you know is inspirational and I think like you know an example like what with, with, with uh, Chris's zine it's like even though it's called long gone it's I mean it's it's the idea of like okay these all these houses and warehouse shows and stuff like that that you know anyone can go you know, that you know it's just creating space you know venues out of just regular spaces so it's a very uh inspirational thing actually and uh i don't know
2: yeah it's inspirational too because i i think maybe a, a more positive spin is it does it seems like it inspires that civic kind of grassroots duty that maybe a citizen might not think about, like I moved here, I moved here from Wakefield and the the concerns in that town just, I I never really got involved, but now that I've moved to Somerville, kind of like I would say, yeah, you're very inspirational in seeing like, oh, you can get involved. And it's that's actually, not only can can you get involved, but that might be very important thing to do is to be involved instead of just think like, oh, it's just too, I'm just too far removed.
1: Yeah, right on, right on. Yeah, I mean, like if enough people do it, it's gonna work. Like, um, so the way that we we helped save this stand of buildings with all the artists and the musicians was we just spent a lot of time talking to people and we convinced them it was important. And, you know, it wasn't just artists, it was artists and musicians and like regular people. And they saw the point because we spent the time like doing it. Um, but what I really love about Chris's zine, and like, I'm just going to talk about how cool it is because he's a cool guy. And it's a great team. But what I found that was really fascinating about it was like uh, In order for it all to work it, is that these people had to really put their lives on the line, you know, like they lived there and they were willing to host these public shows on a regular basis to make the scene happen because there wasn't the above ground like support for it. And they really went to bat for it. And like a lot of people had their houses trashed or whatever and that was the risk they took but they, they thought there was a point to it. Um, and like that commitment to making this scene happen, I think it's just super inspiring. Like whether you care about punk rock or not, like it's just super inspiring to see that level of commitment um, and without that like it wouldn't work they just it wouldn't exist um,
0: did you go to those those shows or those venues or any of those mentioned in the scene?
1: Um, a couple of them but no I mean like I never I mean there were there were some that were more than just a punk focus right like I, went to, I went to star lab. Um, I'm looking through it right now. I uh, went to, uh, well, the Berwick wasn't just, they had punk shows, but that was like an arts building. Um, but yeah, no, like this was like a, a different scene from my scene. So it was really interesting to like see it like as an outsider, um, the way it worked. And like, you know, again, like with, with underground scenes is the they're supportive and they're safe, but they also are really exclusive in a way that um, works against them because like, then you don't get new faces there. Like uh, there's this one place, I'm not gonna name it, but there's this one place nearby here that I wanted to go to. And I just couldn't find out like when their shows were. And so I just, I emailed them and like, they never wrote back. Because was like, who am I? You know? <laughs> yeah. There's this dude like asking for information on our secretive shows like no we're not going to tell him we don't know who he is um and that makes sense you know more power to him but then it's it's cut off and isolated and without above ground spaces without pub- public above ground spaces then the, the scene will eventually like die out i think um or at least get smaller i don't know, I don't know
0: yeah bleak again we're going to we're going to get away from the bleak uh yeah, not bleak <laughs> um yeah they should have done their homework
1: i know right <laughs> <laughs> cool.
0: I, I think there could be more overlap um or maybe they should, yeah i you know i don't know as much about i think uh you Know the art scene or, or what have you, but I think that there could be more overlap, or maybe see you can see more venues that, especially like even like I feel like, how, how should I mean, I don't, know, I don't want to go too much on a tangent, but I, I it's kind of uh, we and I could I criticize also, I include my ourselves in, it, in this criticism, but it does. I feel like there could always be like a lot more done with uh with shows and stuff like that than there is because it's actually amazing to to say something. I think more optimistic is it's actually amazing how much like free reign you actually get uh with a lot of both that like uh even at like bars you know but but I, I think especially true of like a, a house show that it's like yeah why not have a someone doing like you know a spoken word thing or poetry or Maybe something something else weaved into the show, mm. um, you know. And that it's not like that never happens. That does happen sometimes, but um, not you know not not really enough. That there could be more overlap, and more collaborations between these different uh, subcultures.
1: Yeah, right on. Yeah, then like people would mingle and mix. Yeah. And people from other like as you said, like subcultures, I
0: think that'd be great. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you, yeah. So you're going to have to come to uh, say, so you should do a zine reading at one of our shows or something sometime. Okay. Well, At the, at,
2: at the, at the festival there checked off, we accidentally checked off the box for, for catering. So we were thinking of maybe having a, um, moving beyond food and drink and maybe having like a brunch of zines or a brunch of uh, stickers, some kind of buffet involving these things that could be available. We we would love to, if you wanna supply any of your wares for brunch, uh, not edible, but they can be consumed.
1: Oh, sounds good. One of the super cool things about um, self-publishing and why I like it so much is, you know, you get to know the people who buy from you directly. um, Yeah. They they care to and you care to. Um, But also there's like these networks and like the distributors don't make any money. Um, They just do it because they love it. And um, so you you get to know those folks as well. Um, So yeah, I'm lucky enough that um, a handful of places carry my zines. And um, in terms of like physical locations in the Boston area, those are few and far between. Um, There used to be more, but they've shut down, um, which is a super bummer, but uh, Magpie in Davis sells zines. And they're nice enough to carry nice stuff, which I really appreciate. Oh, cool. Um, Yeah, there used to be this amazing place in Iman Square called uh, Practice Space, which, uh carry zines and they had me do a bunch of events and they were like super supportive wonderful wonderful people um but that's no longer around um and it's kind of a shame that there aren't more physical venues that sell these things um but yeah there are um there are like distributors for sure um and everybody should support them everybody should Support the tiny distributors instead of buying from Amazon.
0: Yeah, Think totally. About
1: Think about it, because um, those folks, you know, they um, they just do it for the love, and they, you know, I mean, they make some money, but they should. You know, more power to them. They should make some money on it. Um, but they're not, you know, forcing you to lower your prices so they can like increase their profit margin and build a, their own personal spaceship and go into outer space with all your money. Um, they're just regular people who care, um, much like I imagine like the underground like record label system.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally.
2: Is the, the physical, and, uh, the, the making of this, the zines themselves uh, challenging, or do you kind of have it down pat in terms of what you yeah, use to assemble um, it and stuff?
1: Yeah, it's, um, it can be a lot of work. But the reason I stopped making Chris's zine is it was just too popular. Um, <laughs> I just couldn't cope with it anymore. Um, you know, I am i wasn't really making money off of it. Um, that wasn't ever the issue. It's just, it was, it was too much. Um, so I used to have a print shop print things up, but they raised their prices. So now I have my own printer right there and I print things up and I fold my staple and I enjoy it. It's meditative, um, but yeah, it can be too much sometimes. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Handmade objects are good, right?
0: Yeah, definitely. So how many issues did that uh, go through uh, Chris's um,
1: For Chris's, I think I printed up 500, and they all sold in like two months, which is wow. pretty intensely amazing um, and good. And yeah, out there should be it up and help it get into more people's eyeballs. Um, it's just, it was a little too much for me, unfortunately. Mm. Well,
0: that's awesome. Yeah, I that, think that's great. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I think the popularity probably can't stem from like people seeing like a part of their own history being documented. Um, even like for, for us, we kind of a lot of the that zines before our time, but there's some stuff towards the end that's closer to like where, you know, um, you know stuff we went we went to or houses that we went to, and and so it was really cool to seeing that and that and then also learning about the stuff that came before it uh, or before our time and the fact that it is a, was a physical it's a physical zine it, it just makes it even cooler than just than something like um you know seeing it oh, like uh, in a digital format or something. Yeah.
1: yeah, and like I like I like zines because you know they have life afterwards too. Like maybe you read it and then you gave it to your friend or maybe you like forgot it on your coffee table and you found it like two months later. You know, you don't do that with like a bookmark. Right. No, sir. You know, that's yeah. just gone forever. Um but yeah they're nice little objects and you know people pass them around. Um, Go into libraries sometimes and um i think it's a nice way to to get messages out there and you know if they if you make them yourself you can then sell them for cheap um you know you still get some money but it's cheaper than you know uh, i don't want to say real book but real book you know? hmm. and some people will buy it um, and then you get your message across like somebody isn't going to spend like 15 bucks on a history of long gone illegal punk venues but they'll spend like i would <laughs> you would you would you know, <laughs> as well as you should um but you know they'll spend eight or, i forget what we were charging for them but like they'll spend eight or nine bucks for it you know that's reasonable um, yeah. especially if you know, the, the person who wrote it is going to get you know 50% of it you know
0: right that's good stuff so what's What's next?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I was going to take a little break. Uh, I've been making a lot of posters, so I'll probably just focus on that.
0: All right. Well, you going to have to let us know when you do.
2: <laughs> we'll do. Yeah. Do you have any past projects that you want to give a shout out to? I know everyone can read about them on your website, timdevin.com, which is amazing, but is there anything that you can think of off the top of your head that you did that, was a little different that you That's especially sticks out top of mind.
1: Yeah. Yeah. One of the favorite things I did was um, I did a community art project about the future where I talked to people about what they thought was going to happen in the future or they were afraid was going to happen in the future. And then I put it together as a timeline of the future. And it was a book. And it was an art show and I gave um, Like presentations with slides. About the future, um, and I really enjoyed that. I thought it was interesting, like seeing what people thought and what they were afraid of. And um, I mean, it was like totally inaccurate, but that was never really the point. Um, just to get people thinking about the future and you know what they want to see happen, what they're afraid might happen. Um, and I got a lot of really great ideas. Like people were really imaginative about it. You know, everything from like one sentence to like. Short stories that people wrote up and sent along. Um, I was really, I was really proud of that one. I did that one um, back in two thousand nine ish. It was called the History of Somerville, twenty ten to twenty one hundred.
2: Um, Whoa!
1: Look for that.
2: <laughs>
0: Damn. Yeah, I have to check that one out. Love to Wait, hear it. What's the what's the latest issue number of like uh, for the catalog?
1: the spaces, um, two or two of them. Okay. So there's Chris's and then the one I just came out with.
0: Right, or I guess I should say how many, do you know how many you put out total for disease z- z- oh, in general?
1: The new one, I've printed up about a hundred of them um, so far. Um, and yeah, that, that one, people seem to like so far which i think is awesome um and also it's a lot more manageable than chris's one which deserved a lot of attention
2: (laughs) all right tim well this has been really nice me and you hope to uh meet you in person sometime soon Yeah.
0: yeah absolutely
1: cool yeah thanks for having me on yeah let me know about your events i want to check them out
0: yeah, totally. Likewise, and let us know whatever you're doing something. And uh, thanks again for coming on. Love yep. to meet you in person.
1: Awesome. All right. All talk. right. Talk, talk soon.